Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along to episode 523 of the Milk Bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And coming up on the show, we'll be chatting to Vicky Wright, daughter of the legend Billy Wright, all about the talk she's going to be doing about her dad. Shappy Sandy lets us know about how we enjoy our toys, even as adults. Particularly as we look forward to the film Toy Story 4, which is out in cinemas at the moment. Kenton Hall from the band Ist tells us about his music and his book, Bisection. We'll be finding out about the Wildlife Photographer of the Year exhibition, all 100 photos currently on display at Wolverhampton Art Gallery. Gemma Ward, the manager of the competition, will be telling us all about that as she joins us from the Natural History Museum in London. But first of all... Educating Rita is at Wolverhampton's Grand Theatre from the 8th through to the 13th of July. Rita is played by Jessica Johnson, who joins me now on the line. Hello. Hello, you all right? I'm very well. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm enjoying the sunshine in Exeter. Well, there you go. And then not long before you're in Wolverhampton, which no doubt will be sunny for you too, fingers crossed. Oh, I hope so. I do hope so. That'd be good. So, I mean, Educating Rita is an absolute classic film, but it was a play before it was a film. And uh, Willie Russell is the man behind the story. And uh, you get a great time telling that tale on stage. I do, yes. I get to play the lovely Rita. I've got quite a, it's like a long-term relationship that I've had with Rita, and I know this is the same for Stephen. I think we were both about the same age, although different decades, um, mm-hmm. when we first read Educating Rita. Yeah. Um, so I do, I'm, I've got a really close personal relationship with her. With the way this works on stage, it's slightly different to the film anyway, isn't it? Because it, it's a two-header on stage. It is, it's just a two-hander, it's, just, it's, it's me and Stephen on stage. And yeah, it's all set in one room as well, so it's that... Um, what's the word episodic I think that's the word for it um, and you see kind of it's like an academic year so you see the, the, the journey that these two characters go on in their relationship as well in the shape of tutor Frank things develop in a way that Rita wasn't necessarily anticipating when she decided to go back to school in her 20s no I don't, I don't think she does I think it's just um, you know a lot of it is about um, having choice um, which she says you know a lot towards the end of going you know Frank gives her choices and it really it opens up this whole new world for her, and you see it develop and change, and and you know, and I, I, I hear Frank doesn't doesn't take to it, and it's it's a little bit heartbreaking because it is so it's it's a love story of sorts, and yeah, it's it's, it's heartbreaking to see how the relationship changes as Rita changes, and and Frank sort of deteriorates and and falls into a bottle, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but it has a bittersweet um, ending. I wouldn't say it's an ending actually. It's um, yeah, it's kind of, it's left open for the audience to 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 wonder where these two characters go to after. And and that's quite nice, isn't it? Because you you grow to love them through the play, and mm-hmm. then you get to see that there is a future. There's a sort of an imagining at the end of it. So it is nice that Willie's mm. left it open like that. No, I think it is because I, I I think it then poses more questions as, as well. You hope anyway when the audience believe in that it, it asks more questions than it answers them. If that makes sense which is good. It's about class. It's about education and, and how it can completely change life. It certainly changes readers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know myself. I was a mature student. I didn't go back until I was well in my 20s as well. You know, and I know how it, it did. It completely changed my life. So it's an honour to be able to tell those sort of stories as a, mm-hmm. as a working class woman. And we know that Willie writes amazing women. Oh, it goes without saying, really. Yeah. He's a wonderful, wonderful writer for women. Mm-hmm. And now there will be a, a, a following the uh, 7.30 performance on Thursday, the 11th of July, a post-show Q&A. And, and what's it like yeah. doing that? Because I'm sure you've done those as you've gone uh, across the tour because it's, it's almost a, a GCSE-style yeah, text, isn't it, this sort of thing? It is, it is a must-see yeah. and, and, and must-read play. Absolutely, I, de- I definitely. When I first read it, when I think I was fourteen, because um, I, I was I was recommended it by a drama teacher. I mean, I spent all of my time in little church halls and and uh, like the amateur dramatic society and everything, um, kind of learning me trade. And I remember asking the teachers if they could recommend a monologue, um, which was uh, the better song to sing, monologue from Rita. So I've, I've I've I learned that and I've known it since I was fourteen years old. And yeah, it, again, it's it's that it's that life changing sort of moment when you read Willie's work and you go oh there's a working class voice in here there's a woman that I recognize and that I can relate to and it, 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 it 
you know, really inspired me to, to act more, to do more theatre and that I felt there was a place for me, mm-hmm. you know, in the industry of reading it. And obviously with your work on stage and, and your TV work as well, you've you've fallen into many different roles and different people over time. And, and is Rita one of your favourites? Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I, I really genuinely mean absolutely. I, I've done it before, you see, I did it at... Uh, um, a regional theatre, Gala Durham, mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I performed it there, but it was a very, very short run, um, which is how it kind of came about, because me and Stephen bumped into each other. I was doing a different show at the main stage at Live Theatre, and Stephen was rehearsing uh, another show called Red Lion, um, and, and we crossed paths, and uh, Stephen had asked me what I'd been up to, and I said, educating Rita, and I said, oh, I'd love another run at it, you know, a longer run, so you can really, you know, get into it. And, yeah. and then I said, oh, I think you'd make a really good Frank. And so he went away and he read it and then he came back to me and he went, do you know what? Yes, I think I would. Let's try and do something. I mean, Stephen's work on stage and TV, if he, if he hasn't done it, he probably wasn't worth doing. So this is another good one to see him in, isn't it? Yeah, he's wonderful. I mean, just over the last year, because we continue to read, read it, we both kind of um, auditioned together um, for David Pugh and Rachel Russell, um, Willie's daughter, in Bath. I've managed to see... Stephen in a number of shows now. I saw him do Christmas Carol. I saw him do the uh, Red Lion. I saw him do Art as well. And, and and of course working with him now on Rita. And it's it's wonderful. It's a privilege. It's great being in a room with someone who's who's got so much just experience and he's he's very skillful and he's incredibly generous as well. So mm. it's just been wonderful. And I I've, I've genuinely I feel like I've learned a lot and improved myself just off being in a room with Stephen and Max, the director as well, who's native northeast as well. And it, so it, I've learned so much. I I can't praise them enough. I really can't. And what do you think you take away from it this time? That's maybe a bit different to the first time you played her. Well, I'm not sure. I mean, it was it's it, it's funny because it's it, it, the original one that I did at Durham was um it was set modern times and she was a ve- she was an incredibly different Rita. So I don't know. If, I mean, taken from this one, I think um. I don't know. I feel quite, I feel quite lucky actually. I feel, I, I feel, I just feel lucky that I've, I've, I've been able to do this. I mean, you never know. It might come back again, you know, for another, for another tour next year, hit a few new theatres. But um, I'm not quite sure. I think I don't think I've even contemplated that yet. I'll have to wait until we get to the end and see how I feel. I suppose. Then mm-hmm. you'll really get to to know her as she is in this particular version of the play. And yeah. And how how do you think she differs from the screen, Rita? Um, do you know? I I haven't seen that film. I think it was it was one of them VHSs that we definitely had growing up. And I do, you know we didn't have many, but I do remember the ones that we we did have. And I don't think I've really sat down and watched it since I was about again the fourteen fifteen year old mm-hmm. sort of marker. But um, so I wouldn't say. I mean, it it it, it would be very difficult to outdo Julie Walters, of course. You know, she's one of my, she's really one of my heroes. Yeah. So I hope that I bring it. She's a different reader, but she's, you know, she's still full of energy and heart, and and I think that's why I love her so much. She's so passionate, you know, about about changing her life and and about poetry, and and I just admire her. I really do admire her, and she's very brave as well. Well, we can see the poetry of Rita being on stage as she gets educated at Wolverhampton's Grand Theatre from the 8th to the 13th of July. It is on sale now. Grandtheatre.co.uk or 01902429212 for the box office. I'm very much looking forward to seeing the show. Yes, do. See the show. Jessica (laughs) Johnson, a.k.a. Rita, when she travels around the UK. Thank you for joining us. Cheers. In a moment or two's time, we'll have a chat with Kenton Hall from IST. But first, let's take a listen to one of their tunes. This is Remington Steel. Must be 
with Remington Steel. More from them very soon. But first of all, Kenton Hall is on the line. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm very well. and I trust we find you well? Uh, uh, as well as one can be uh, in England in the middle of a very humid summer. Okay, yeah, this is the way it goes sometimes, isn't it? It's not, not great it for is. you. But, however, the music uh, is, is good fun and you've got a book to talk about too. First of all, tell us a bit I about do. IST. Uh, IST, uh, we started in oh, 2001. We did uh, 10 solid years on the road, made three albums of which we were very proud and then we took a break to kind of jointly go off and do other things. Uh, some of us, I, I went off and made a film, uh, as did John, our bass player. And we've just been uh, sort of dancing around each other towards getting back together and making some new music. Uh, and I've been making a solo album as well. So, yeah, it was a, it was a really good, solid 10 years of my life on the road with that band and made some work we were really proud of. And we'll say, listen to a few more tracks as we go through, but I'm very interested in hearing some of the solo stuff too, and maybe you're doing a comparison with that. So we'll get you back once that solo album Absolutely, that would that be great, time. yeah. But meanwhile, I mean, you've been out on the road and with a band and your normal day-to-day life, and throughout all of this, you're bipolar. That's that's true, yeah. It's, it's something that um, I think because I'm lucky enough to sort of have words at my disposal, I feel like, I kind of have a little bit of responsibility to talk about it because I know that a lot of people that suffer from the same things that I do don't have the capacity to sort of express it. And I think that's led to a lot of misunderstanding about what it is, what people are going through. And it is, it's it's a part of me. It's not the defining part of me, but it does obviously as an artist as well have a real influence on the way that you perceive the world and that has an influence on the things that you write about, has an uh, influence on the way that you perform. And uh, I think more people need to kind of sort of be aware of kind of what's churning on the inside of people with bipolar disorder because we see a lot of misconceptions in the press about what it is or they concentrate on some of the most extreme uh, negative things that have happened from people that are suffering um and it is you know it's a it's a sometimes debilitating disease and it does have a real effect on on your life and uh, your your happiness and your relationships but it's not something that can't be survived and it's not something you can't actually thrive despite and i think that's kind of when i do talk about being bipolar it's it's not just to glorify that idea of sort of creativity and sort of mental illness going hand in hand it's more because i'm proud of what i've accomplished and i know that i've accomplished a lot of it through this lens of bipolar and with the support of a lot of people around me as well and, and this is very much the focus of the book he's talking about this he's talking about the relationships with your two daughters that come through and their understanding of this too and with everything that you've been through 
it's it's the only way you have known. So it's the only you know you you can talk about this from a point of view, but you have always had this, whether it's been identified or, or and, and through highs and lows of it. So that's it. That's it exactly. I mean, I think that's a that's a really interesting point that you make. Is that sometimes. Sometimes I'm asking for people to explain to me what it's like for people that don't have bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I've definitely seen a real difference between, say, the many years where I was not on medication because I was convinced it would sort of impair my creativity somehow. And the years that I've been on medication, I've kind of had to sort of rewrite the way that I look at the world. And that's been interesting as a writer as well. So the book came out of just realizing that sort of my daughters who are 17 now I'm 16 when the when I was writing the book um have shared this journey with me and my entire parenting style and the relationship that we have has kind of had this this fourth person uh, alongside us all the time this other sort of shadow version of myself that's um caused by the illness and I thought it was it was an interesting thing to dig into because both sort of parenting and single parenting and living with mental illness are things that affect a lot of people and they don't always see those stories represented and i figured i have an odd story and i like telling odd stories <laughs> so i probably should uh, put it between pages at some point but i mean with the bipolar condition itself though uh, obviously that's often seen as yeah, multiple personalities however aside of that though and the ways which some people interpret it do you feel that you're able to see the bigger picture that is you outside of the condition because I, I i mean the way my mind works if i'm in a bad mood I, i'm almost taking a step back and i can see that i'm in a bad mood do you look mm. in on yourself in that way and see how you are with the condition um i think probably more so sort of when i first went back on meds after sort of about 15 years of being unmedicated i was able to step back for the first time in a long time because you do feel as though you're kind of trapped in a maelstrom when you're actually suffering because you are moving between extraordinary highs but sometimes they spin off to psycho psychosis and extraordinary lows where you just lose all sense of yourself and your worth and your place in the world but those become your standard that's your norm the in-between is so fleeting that even a sort of slightly good day becomes your best day ever and then you start becoming manic again so i think it is difficult when you're in the midst of it to step back because you kind of you're used to it but it's like anything else when it it's incredibly painful not Mm -hmm. just emotionally but physically it's a painful condition but it's like anyone who's used to chronic pain you start to accept it as being a part of who you are until you're sort of given a chance to kind of experience life in a different way. And sometimes I think that's it's something that wears you down over time, like any kind of chronic pain, because you just you get sort of fed up of being in that much distress. Um, but yeah, it's, it is difficult. I felt when I first went back on meds, I felt like my personality was being rewritten. A lot of things that I'd assumed were just how I was and the way I reacted to things, some of the things that I sort of liked in the way that I acted, um, was proved to be symptomatic because when sort of some of that distress was shed away, there was a sort of a different version of me underneath that, you know, it had the same memories and, and a lot of the same beliefs, but reacted very, very differently to sort of stimuli and to circumstances. And I think that was fascinating and frightening at the same time to realize that sort of for 20 years of your life, some of who what you thought your personality was, was just um, chemicals misfiring. But taking a step back from the personality side of it as well, I mean, are the memories that you interpret differently now when the, you're, you're on meds as opposed to when you're not? Absolutely. Um, I mean, the the biggest and obvious one is just not being able to track your decision-making processes when you look back. What made perfect sense to you at the time makes literally no sense to you. You don't know why you said a certain thing. You don't know why you did a certain thing. But also you start to see your your relationships with others in a very different light. Um, You can understand sort of in retrospect what someone was trying to say to you that wouldn't penetrate through whatever you were feeling at that time and sometimes that's enlightening sometimes it's disheartening because obviously that can have a negative impact on the relationship maybe to the point where that relationship doesn't exist anymore and it didn't have to be uh, harmed in that way but you do have to take it as kind of a learning process and try to move forward with it 
And how do you feel people treat you differently when you're on meds as to not on meds? Can you see that side of it as well? I think I'm not sure that people treat treat me differently when I'm on meds. I think I'm more aware when I'm on meds of how I, you know, my close friends tend to be artists and musicians and and writers, and they are probably sort of intrinsically a little bit more aware of mental health issues because it's discussed in our community quite a lot and so they tend to just treat you as you but when you're set about in the wider world or so you're doing a sort of a more corporate job where you're working in an office and people find out you have bipolar then even the best person in the world because they don't understand there's a little flicker that goes across the eyes um that they're a little bit unsure. Sometimes they are frightened because they've heard something um, particularly negative. Sometimes it's just that fear of, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to speak to this person. I don't know how to treat them. Um, what do I do if something goes wrong? And I think when I was in the midst of the illness, I was too busy being in the midst of the illness. And now that I've got that sort of distance from it a little bit, I, I notice the unconscious stigma of it a lot more than I did because I although I feel well in myself, just the very fact that I have the disorder sometimes make people treat me differently. And I'm kind of old enough and mature enough that I can kind of go, hmm, interesting, more often than I do get upset by it. But um, there are times when it's disheartening, when you just, you're trying to make a point or you, you make a point in a particularly sort of passionate way and you can see people thinking, ah, oh, there you go, there it is. There's the bipolar coming out. And you're like, no, no, I'm, I, I know what I'm saying. I'm I'm making sense. I, I, this is true, mm -hmm. but people sort of discount some of what you say and some of what you believe because of it. And equally, the, the, anybody else that doesn't have bipolar and certainly or you know, isn't presenting and uh, being upfront about it wouldn't be treated in that way. They might just be, oh, they're in a bit of a bad mood. I'll come back to them later, or that's an odd way for them to look at it. But maybe I'll think about it. So it, it's, it's yeah, sometimes absolutely. It's, it's rather unfair to be treated in that way purely because. You have said sometimes my different versions of me. Yeah, I think you know, I think that's what keeps a lot of people from um, saying it out loud. Sometimes because they're worried about what other people think, but I think sometimes that people have trouble admitting it to themselves because it's a lifelong condition. It's not going to go away. Um, we're nowhere near a cure for it because they're not even sure what causes it. So it, to admit that you have a mental illness is is quite a leap for a lot of people and understandably so um but i think sometimes you know if you had one leg you wouldn't get very far telling yourself you had two um so i ha i have mental illness and everything i do has to work around that or go through it what i can't do is let it stop me from doing things that i want to do or from achieving things that i want to achieve and this can all be read about in the book it is called bisection it's available to pre-order from chinbeard books and chinbeardbooks.com would be the site for that one just search That's through it. for kenton hall and bisection and you can get more of this story and have a greater understanding of the world from your perspective and your perspective on that world I, and I hope it's. I also hope it's funny. So, which it, which uh, hopefully it will be, because if you can't laugh about most things in life, you're really going to start to struggle, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I try to approach it as if Douglas Adams was writing a book about mental health. I think so. I would like to read that, so uh, that <laughs> sounds good to me. So we're going to take another track from the band. So is it we're going to hear again? What track would you like to take this time, sir? Oh, uh, Let's go with Headache, which uh, was once featured on Holmes Under the Hammer. There's an interesting trivia there we point go. for you. I like that idea. Let's take a listen to it. Kenton Hall, thank you for joining us. Thank you.
heavy on one half of Main Street as a downpour floods the other side. Powder blue flat trouser legs rush out towards the gathering storm and straddle the divide. Research has revealed that the Brits are a nation of big kids. We all love our toys, and particularly with the excitement around Toy Story 4 being released, a study by Europe Car is telling us that we actually want to relive our childhood pretty much every day. Somebody I'm not entirely sure has grown up is Shappy Sandy, who joins me on the line now. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for noticing. Well, you're as bad as me, to be fair. We do like to have fun, and very often into adulthood, we do retain some of our toys that we enjoyed playing with as a kid. We do. The Europe Car survey um, unearthed the fact that 70% of men keep their favourite toys and women aren't far behind with 61%. So it sort of goes to show that we, we don't really change, do we, as adults? And We're the same people we were at seven, but we've just learnt not to throw things at people <laughs> well, maybe not all of us have but maybe not all of us yeah <laughs> I, I was playing with some matchbox toys when i was tidying some stuff up at my mom and dad's last weekend and they are there they are retained okay my nephews have been playing with them as well but the important thing is i can still go back but we don't get much better when it comes to buying ourselves toys because we buy ourselves gadgets which really are just a, a, a pseudo toy that we can look a bit more grown up with when we're on the bus that's, you know what, I, I feel that way because I bought a, a Hornby train set that my children um, sort of pointed out that, Mummy, you're not letting us touch it. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't like them touching the Hornby set because I don't think they're as gentle with it as I am. And I've had to admit that, yes, I did buy that for myself. It is, it is your toy. Because, well, I never had, you know, when I you know, get the violins out, we never had money for that kind of thing when I was a kid. So a, a Hornby train set was this unattainable thing when I was a kid and so yeah I did buy myself one as a grown up So I, I was lucky enough to have a Hornby train set but it was the basic pack and so uh, when the royal wedding train was going round they didn't get much scenery I can tell you that much <laughs> that's okay yeah. they never look out the window anyway well no, I suppose family. this is it yeah that's the way it goes but I mean there's some great stuff that's come out of this research as well particularly when it comes to what the kids are looking for and uh, they're saying they'd like things like a safari adventure fancy that safari adventure and also 15% have said they want to follow in Buzz Lightyear's footsteps and travel by spaceship as opposed to car well why wouldn't you mm -hmm. um and one thing that i i found quite heartening about it was that you know we worry so much about kids not using their imagination now and being much more into gadgets than anything else but in the europe car survey 28 percent of kids said that they missed their toys the most when they went away so that's a, a high number than family members and friends so every cloud 
yeah, they do like to, to play with the good stuff. But, I mean, the other worry is you rent a car. Europe car are going to get you wherever you're going for your bit of a summer break if you don't normally have a vehicle to use of your own. Make sure you get the kids' toys back out of it or there'll be all hell to pay. You'll be ringing up your car going, I've left Buzz in the back of the van. What can we do? <laughs> no, that's OK, because Buzz can make his own way home, ah, thankfully. Because yes. <laughs> I believe everything I see in the films. So as far as I'm concerned, Toy Story is a documentary. Naturally, yeah. And uh, yeah, with Woody's tattoo on the bottom of his foot, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, uh, it, it just shows that uh, he's up there and happening just like the rest of the hipsters around town. Well, it's so, you know, it's funny you mentioned Woody because Woody was a big part of my son's childhood and he's six years older than his sister. Mm-hmm. So now he gave Woody to his sister and now my six-year-old daughter, she very generously gave me Woody Aww. the other day and I just adore the fact that she thought she was giving me the greatest present mummy. She's very solemnly, mummy, you can have Woody in your room now if you like. So uh, Woody lives in my room. And you just when you're asleep, he could be wandering around anywhere. Make sure you keep him under control. Yeah, I, I, I have a, I have security cameras all over my house to uh, keep keep an eye on Woody. So basically, you're trying to make Toy Story five with your security cameras. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, although I've got to say, between me and you, mm. I always preferred um, Buzz Lightyear. Now children are quite even on this 29 percent the survey said chose woody as their favorite uh, adventure buddy and 27 percent said buzz i think buzz would be the one that would take you up a mountain abseil you down the other side but woody would be the one wanting to get all deep and meaningful and on holiday i kind of prefer adventure let's go for it the the, the, the adventure the chat and having wings to them to be able to fly I, I like that idea yeah absolutely so um, I'm so looking forward to the film. Um, it's one of those, you know, films that I'd, I'd see. I've, I've got to stop myself seeing it on my own. Think, oh, I better, I better wait till the kids are free. Um, so that's something that we can do as a family. Go twice. Maybe I should. Go and see it on your own. No distractions. Sit back. Tub of ice cream. Popcorn. Enjoy the movie. Then take the kids out and and, and have fun that way. And no popcorn for them or ice cream. Yeah, no carrot sticks. Carrot sticks are the way it goes. I think that's that's an entirely sensible way of enjoying yourself at the cinema. (laughs) Once you've driven there in in your Europe car as well. So that does the job. Where can we go to find out more about this uh, great survey and how much we love spending time with our toys? Okay, you can go to europecar.co.uk slash Toy Story 4 and there's all the information about the survey there along with loads of other things that will be very useful. And some fab pictures of your pin-up Buzz Lightyear. Yes, hopefully. We're getting married. Oh, I've, I've gone too far into this. And you, okay. Yeah, and you're giving the game away now. There'll be broken-hearted people across the UK. Shappy <laughs> Sandy, thank you for joining us. Have a great summer and make sure you have a fun time with the kids. Will do. Take care. More music from Is now. This time, this must be a desert.
This must be a desert from Ist. They often say that Billy Wright and Joy Beverly were the Posh and Becks of the day. Well, in fact, it was really the other way around because Posh and Becks are merely starting to emulate some of the fantastic success and the wonderful personality that those two displayed across the board in the wonderful world of football. Of course, Billy Wright, captain at Wolves and England, and did so much great work for the British game. I'm joined now by his daughter, Vicky, who is currently working on a Kickstarter to make sure we keep that memory alive. Hello. Hello, Jason. Hello. Nice to talk to you. Good to talk to you too. Obviously, uh, in the city of Wolverhampton, Billy Wright is uh, a name that we all know and love, but it is across the UK and across the world that he is known for his part in football. I know, and it's overwhelming still for me. Um, I did an interview the other day with somebody on from Sky News, and he said to me, what was it like growing up? When did you realise your father was so famous? And honestly, Jason, I don't think it was until he died. I didn't realise the love and the, the, the legend that he was. He was just my dad to me. And I, and I promise you, he was the best one of those as well. But when, mm. when it all happened, the fact of, of the history books he's, he's written in the history books, he was only Wolverhampton's only son. He's still there. Everybody touches his boot when they go to the game, even the, the, the away people that come. He's this legend. And and I I always wanted to sort of honour that and, and do something to, to represent that from my point of view, because he wasn't just the footballing legend to me. He was a dad too and there's so much to dad that, that I want to put out there for everybody to, to hear you know and um, and now I'm doing it and and I'm excited about it and so I've just launched this Kickstarter thing to get it launched and there's going to be a big launch at Molyneux on the 5th of September so it's all sort of taking off and I just love everybody's support um, far and wide you know what I mean but basically pretty much where you're coming from in the Midlands and in, in, in Wolverhampton Yeah I mean you've already spent quite a lot of time and money getting to this point two years you've been really starting to focus and pull this together yeah and 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 this is something i mean it, you say it's 25 years since your your father's passing isn't it so it's so so important that uh, this story continues to be told and that you get to tell it in the way in which only you can yeah and i'm very really proud you know to be able to be the one that can do it but it's it's also not just for my daughter and our family but no one's heard the private side of, of Billy, you know? So everybody that sees him as, as this legend and this hero and this captain of Wolves, captain, there's another side that, that I'd like people to know that was the man as well, you know what I mean? Because the, it, it's a fascinating combination that Dad had. He was vulnerable. He was just like all of us that, that had few, you know, little things that happened in life that were tough and he didn't deal with them too well. And it, it's so fascinating to me. And, and also, women, it's not just a footballing story. Actually, the women that have seen it think it's wonderful because there's a love story involved when he met mum. One of the biggest bands in the the UK. <laughs> yeah, female, female acts yeah, in the 50s. And theirs was the first Posh and Beck story, you know. But the way they met was so different because there was no paparazzi, there was no OK, there was no hello. It was just this sweet little romance. But there still was this 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 thing of this this footballing legend fell in love with a with this sort of big sort of pop star and the combination of that and how they tried to keep it secret in their sweet little innocent way <laughs> and they <laughs> went to the wedding because mum had been married before so it was a registry office in pool and so it was all very and dad was just on his way to the world cup so they sort of got this little date in really quickly in pool and they were driving there together in a little Hillman Minx and they got to the venue, went into the, 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 the start of where they were driving in to get to, to the to the church. And there was just complete traffic jams. And Dad thought, oh, no, there's something happening, obviously, in Paul today. <laughs> you know, this is ridiculous. What's all going on? Is, is, it, is there a, a fate, a Lord Mayor's show going on? What's going on? So he rolled the window down and, and spoke to a policeman and said, excuse me, mate, he said, he said, we've got to get to the church. He said, what's going on? Have we picked it up? And the policeman said, you're getting married, Mr. Wright. <laughs> so it had got leaked. The guy that was marrying mum and dad had a friend and he couldn't keep it to himself. He said, you'll never guess who, who's coming in on Saturday. <laughs> he told somebody, so it got out. So little things like that. It's so innocent and so beautiful and, 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 and adorable, you know, that it was an era that we don't live in anymore. Mm -hmm. With the uh, the fame and the, the, the press and things that came from it, I, I know I've sent you some recordings that actually came from the Molyneux Collection uh, that 
set of records which were actually your dad's collection that were actually donated to the club and things like appearing on Down Your Way and uh, and a night out when uh, Brian Johnson met up with them when, when they lifted uh, the, the FA Cup. Yeah, all that sort of thing is part of the, the history and there are little sound bites that you can pick up yep. but the, even then there are so, so many things that you can no longer recreate it's got to be from the memories and that's that's again something else you can share like that story you gave to us then exactly and also the other thing is that obviously for the Wolverhampton supporters and the football fans is when they won the FA Cup in, in 49 which was such a huge day for Wolverhampton and the club and they actually lifted that trophy and dad took it back and they took it back to the to the city you know on the on a little bus i've got a found footage of him and the, all the team on the bus coming through it was packed 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 with people and they're on this little old bus it looks like a noddy bus you know it's so <laughs> ridiculously sweet and cute and there's not one selfie they're all just on the top of waving to everybody there's not one selfie not one mobile phone <laughs> and it's just so innocent but it was a day that every wolverhampton supporter will remember in history when they bought the cup home, you know, and Stan Cullis says, I'd like to introduce you to the, I probably the most popular man in Wolverhampton. And the whole place goes, <laughs> and my little dad, 24 years old, steps out, <laughs> you know, so. Uh- uh, amazing times, uh, amazing memories, and moving on to sadly the other end of his life. And just before uh, the year before he passed away, there was the naming of the Billy Wright Stand in his honour at Molyneux. And that evening at Molyneux, I remember so well the reception that he received. Were you there, Jason? Were you there? I was. I turned on the microphone which he used to address the crowd <laughs> that day. Did you? Oh, that's lovely. I did. He, obviously, he. Got a massive reception. There was uh, TV coverage, and it was like uh, very much a homecoming as he was there to see the stand name for him. Yeah, he he was overwhelmed by that. He was overwhelmed. Still, again, as modest and humble as ever, he was like, "I am shaking like a leaf." He said, "To be here today to open my stand." Playing for Wolves, playing for England, had nothing on this. That's what he said. <laughs> Opening my say, he couldn't believe it. He wouldn't believe that there was a statue six foot high at the ground. He just, he, you know what I mean? He was so modest. And, and I was pregnant on that day. And I've got footage of that as well. And all I kept saying to him was, Dad, can we just get off as quickly as possible? But no, he had to shake hands with everybody in the front row all the way around the ground. <laughs> amazing times and an amazing man. And I, I know that uh, through this Kickstarter campaign, you're also not only going to help share the story, but you're going to allow people to actually get part of that story as, as some of the, the perks of getting involved and donating cash towards this. Yeah, and I, I just, you know, I just hope that people get behind me because it means so much to me. And I know that he's loved so much out there. And, and, and I just, fingers crossed that we can get, all of us, get this back on, on, on track and, and get it out there for everybody to, to enjoy. Yeah, well, so things like the memorabilia that's available, if you're pledging more than £5, uh, it's a Billy Wright League Cup postcard. And these are the sort of things that your dad used to hand out, carry with them for, for when fans were there. And you know, selfies weren't a thing back in the day, but collecting something like this from, from, from him would be an absolutely amazing treat. That's right. He always had those in his pocket, in his car. I went I went with him to lots of different functions. There was always that little collection he had because he was never, ever not stopped, you know, for autographs. And and he'd get them out then. Let them sign it to you. And, of course, I've got all those. It's all personal stuff. And uh, we've got a lot of personal stuff that, of course, we'd never, ever dream of selling. Mm-hmm. So part of me doesn't want to sort of appear to be like selling off his stuff for money. Mm-hmm. But... There's so much stuff that that is 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 it, that is I'm fine with being shared, and it's little things like programs and teddies that were left outside and 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 pictures that that I've got in, in Dad's collection that he saved. He just put in in bags, really. You know, I found all this stuff that he just thought oh, I don't know what to do with that. I'll put it in the little posters, you know wonderful things and a couple of autographs that are so precious you know so that's all there if, if somebody that is a real supporter would, would like to just have a look at the the page and have a look at it and and no matter how big or small jason it would just be so appreciated yeah by making sure that you're part of the history by helping to fund this you can take part of the history home with you and treasure it the same way as you treasure the fond memories of your dad exactly Exactly. Where do we find the Kickstarter? What are we looking for? <laughs> right. Go to Twitter, Vicky Wright, 
on Twitter, Vicky Wright on Facebook, and that's where you find it, I think. All on social websites, Instagram, I've got it on there. But Twitter, I think Wolverhampton are going to share it as well. Tomorrow I'm going to speak to them at Wolf. So if you're on the Wolverhampton um, Twitter page, it'll be on there as well. It's just a click and you can see the rewards. If you don't want to be bothered with that, you know, a tiny little donation. And I hate to ask, like I'm begging, but Dad... You know, he was captain of England and Wolverhampton captain. I swear, the last paycheck he got was £40 the week. The difference in wages these days is absolutely amazing. (laughs) So it's not about money, but of course, you know, he didn't leave any anything because it it was all from his heart. Everything he did was because he had the love of the game and the love of Wolverhampton. But now, if I, you know, if it can help us and me. It, then that's what we're doing it for. And Dad would be proud. I hope Dad would be proud of what I've done. I'm sure he would. And uh, so everything I've heard about him is a wonderful fellow. I've sadly never actually met him that night at Molyneux. Uh, but I, I did meet uh, your mom at the memorial for him uh, just over what, 12, 18 months later. Yeah. She was absolutely lovely at the time. She adored him. She adored him, as he did her. We saw the outpouring of love for Billy and for Joy at that night itself. But uh, yeah. Vicky, thank you for having a chat with us. Kickstarter.com. Look for the Billy Wright story or look out for Vicky Wright on Twitter and Facebook. You can find the links on there. And I will share the links on our Facebook page as well to make sure that you can get involved, enjoy this Kickstarter and help to tell the story of Billy Wright. Vicky, thanks again. Jason, thank you too. Bye-bye. Time for another tune from Ist. This is I Am Jesus and you're not. Benedict and for a quick trip to my gun and other price team business. So you hang up on my everywhere like Julie Pond, I busted it, but I can get my hand away. If I can get my dad's lips. I have Jesus and you're not. I have Jesus and you're not. I am Jesus and you're not here on the Milk Bar. Right the way through until the 1st of September, the Wildlife Photographer of the Year exhibition is on. Gemma Ward is looking after the whole thing as the manager and is here with me now. Hello. Hello. So an amazing exhibition. I've had a very brief look round and there are some fantastic pictures on show. I know. Each year, I mean, it's in its 55th year, this competition, and each year it just gets better and better when you think it can't. It's owned by the Natural History Museum London and um, it originates, the competition actually has 48,000 pictures entered Mm -hmm. and then this collection here in the exhibition is being whittled down by the esteemed jury to the fi- their finest and best 100. So they do all look absolutely phenomenal. As, as an amateur photographer, everybody is with their phones these days, but you can't get this sort of picture with a mobile phone, can you? Well, if you or can you? If you go out there with your mobile phone, yes, you can. Because mm-hmm. the, the technology of and of mobile phones nowadays it's, it's, is really good. Some amazing and, stuff And, and the see. competition is very much open to anyone, you know, mm-hmm. amateurs, professionals, and this exhibition has a lot of amateurs mm-hmm. in it as well. So, you know, anyone can win the competition. So I suppose 55 years ago, it pretty much started out in black and white. It was on real film at the time. And yes. now we're in the digital age, as you say, it could be phones, it could be some of the top-end digital cameras that are being used to take these pictures. Yeah. And the stunning detail is, is you walk around is, is, is what really does impress. I mean, just behind us, two, two pictures here. Uh, we have uh, the odd couple, uh, which is uh, that's very much insect-based. That, I'm going to guess is an ant. It is. It is an ant. Um, and this is, um, these three pictures, actually, are port- part of a six-image um, portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are all taken in the Ecuadorian rainforest. Yeah. And the photographer is actually a biologist himself, and he just does invertebrates, insects, and it's all macro photography. So like you were saying, now with cameras and their technology, the detail, I mean, look at the sharpness Mm -hmm. of the eye. I mean, it almost feels like you're looking through the window. And and with the way these are backlit as well, the way that they're printed, this really brings these pictures to life as well. Absolutely. I mean, this isn't like any other photography competition, exhibition that, you know, are are just prints on the wall Mm -hmm. in frames. 
Um, these are all printed on special transparency material that you can only see when you mount them onto a light box, so the light is coming through. The gallery is dark, so there's no other lighting apart from the, the images. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just wonderful music um, yep. in the background, and it, you really transport and get immersed into the sort of the wildlife talk of the year experience when and you come in here. I love it. Yeah, and, and, and the, here we have a, a bee on guard. Uh, there's there's an, an interesting view here. Uh, a bee at the top, and I'm, I'm going to guess that, uh, that they could be lunch down the bottom. Who are they? No, that's not. This <laughs> is. I'm glad you picked this picture because this is my ultimate favourite in yeah. the whole collection. I remember it in the judging room. It really popped out. I've never seen anything like it before. It's actually a bee. Um, protecting the um, tree, tree hopper nymphs. Ah, so there's so some nymphs involved. I thought they'd yes, be nymphs. Little so babies, yeah. but, but not bee babies. Mm. Okay. <laughs> um, and it's behaviour that's never been seen before, but I've, you know, I've seen so many pictures of bees, but never like this, with the rainbow effect from mm. its wings. Yeah, a, a, um, a true action shot taking place there. Absolutely, absolutely. And there are ultimate winners across the competition. You need to come down to see exactly who has won. We're not going to give anything away now, but... So I, I have seen the winning photo, and again, absolutely phenomenal stuff. Oh, incredible. How the jury select just one winner, um, how, how they select just 100 pictures from mm -hmm. the 45,000 is yeah. such an amazing process. But what they do, um, we award all the categories, and then all the category winners are then the contenders for the two grand title winners, mm -hmm. for the Wildlife Talk of the Year and then the Young Wildlife Talk of the Year. So from those category winners, that's how they choose their ultimate grand title winner. And it's quite a process, and it has to be really stand out. And what the judges are looking for is originality. Mm -hmm. That's the main thing. Obviously, creativity and innovation um, and technical excellence. Um, but some, you know, if you imagine looking at 40,000 pictures, um, and you know, one after the other, something original and amazing and surprising is the one that will stop them in their tracks. Yeah, so as they're working their way through these, and they're delivered in all sorts of formats, I suppose, so some will be on paper, some will be digital. And no, it's all digital it's all now. Digital now all yeah. digital. I mean, like you said, you know, six, 55 years ago, yeah. it was film and slides, um, and everything was slides. When I first started on the competition, almost 20 years ago, my, my office was covered in postal sacks <laughs> of all the slides and the entries. Um, now it's all digital online. We switched digital about 2004, and by 2006, we were completely digital. Yeah, well, it's a, an amazing exhibition. We've seen, say, what are your favourites here? I'm oh, yes. sure people choose their own favourites. Absolutely, in, it's uh, so subjective. Uh, but equally, there are, there are video installations as well as part of the exhibition. Um, there is, um, it, it's the People's Choice Award, which is um, a further 25 images are selected after the, this 100, mm -hmm. um, and then they're put to the public to vote for their favourite. And that's shown in the gallery, and then the winners will be announced in February by the Natural History Museum in London. So that's something to look out for in the early part of 2020. Yes. And uh, the Natural History Museum, a big part of this, obviously, and uh, yeah, is, is it been known for these then to appear in an ongoing exhibition down there? Are the winners from uh, over the years also displayed? Yes. Um, the exhibition tours the UK to many venues and, and abroad, so this exhibition does travel mm -hmm. and gets seen by millions of people, which is great to put the photographers, the amazing, passionate nature photographers' critical work mm -hmm. um, to give a platform to you know, a window into the natural world today. Yeah. It's uh, their stories are incredible. Yeah, and things you just couldn't hope to see in your own backyard, uh, but equally things that you may well see in your backyard in a different way to which you would normally see them. Yeah, there's a bit of both. There's a bit of, um, oh my God, I'll never see that. Or mm. there's also, you know, pictures of kingfishers, owls, squirrels in mm. here that are in your backyard and, you know, p taken by photographers from their backyard. And especially the young wildlife photography. Oh, you've got to go and see that. That right. is just... Amazing. Next on my list to do, how much is it to come down and see the exhibition? Um, here in Wolverhampton, it's £5.50 for adults. You can check it out on the, uh, the, the gallery's pages, on Facebook and also online. But uh, where can they go online to find out more about the whole competition itself? Um, wildlifephotographyofthe.com will have all the competition and exhibition and touring details. Also, if you fall in love with the picture and want the print or even the book, the book has even more caption information than you see in the exhibition, so I highly recommend that. And also, if you want to take part in the next competition, you also have great pictures, and I say anyone can enter. Mm -hmm. I really mean that. Um, the next competition opens for entries on the 21st of October and closes on the 13th of December this year. So come along, check it out at Wolverhampton Art Gallery, be inspired, and then get involved yourself. Absolutely. Jim Ward, manager of the Wildlife Photography Year competition, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I hope everyone enjoys this as much as I do.
Questions are scattered like birdseed across my front lawn You speak for a nation of inquiring minds and tedious brawn You feel for my loss What of course must be a difficult time What I could assure and you should be ashamed here on the Milk Bar. That's a lot for this week. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 523. Back with episode 524 next week. I'll see you then. For half an hour. Goodbye from the Milk Bar. 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 Yeah. Goodbye from the Milk Bar. Yeah.